Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. We have a really interesting conversation for you today, which I'll describe in a second. But first, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments if you have them. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com, and perhaps we'll read a few next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe to be notified every time we post a new episode. Um, I am really interested in talking to our guest today because it's about a subject that is, uh, as many of you know, is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's with author Molly Rubish, uh, and through the desire to nurture her young stepson's Um, following the passing of their mother, as well as her own father's death, Molly was inspired and moved to write the book, Is Heaven Farther Than the North Pole? The book helps children cope with grief at a level they can understand. And the book is also the beginning of what Molly hopes will be a series of books that address such challenging topics as divorce and addiction, as well as the loss of a pet or friend. Molly, Grant, welcome into the back room. Thank Thank you. you. Happy to be here. So, before we get into the book, which I think is really terrific, let's talk about your backgrounds. Let's start with you, Molly. You come from the corporate world. Yeah, I have 20 years of sales experience in pharmaceutical and med device and really spent years selling in the OR with physicians. And it has been a nice break. I've taken time off from the corporate world and I've been able to kind of venture onto this being an author. And that's been fun. And were you a writer on any level? Like I know a lot of people write short stories or poetry and then they do something more commercial and become an author or a published writer in some regard, or is this literally your first attempt and a successful one at writing? This is my first attempt. I have a creative side and it was always in there. And I had this calling, this deep calling to do something different, something bigger than just corporate America. And welcome what, to that club. Right. What that all entails. And it, I didn't know when I took a break from the corporate world what it was going to be. But I had this deep calling. And I knew given using our story to help build a different message and it's starting with a children's book. It's going to lead to all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. So well, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Grant, your background. Yeah, I'm just an optometrist. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Yeah. Pun intended. There you go. Um, yeah, I'm an optometrist in southern Indiana. We actually, I'm a little bit, I guess a little bit more than that. So I do, I own 20 practices in Kentucky. So I'm the president of those offices. But really, I'm here to help support Molly. I'm mm-hmm. fortunate to have an amazing wife. Well, you guys have an incredible story. And obviously, it's one that resonates with me because, as you know, my wife, who is a filmmaker and a writer and an incredible human being, Adrian Shelley, she was murdered back in 2006. And my daughter, Sophie, who's 19 now, she was not quite three. So I had to deal with all the issues and challenges that you guys faced, Grant, you in particular, having to tell a young child that mommy's not coming home and why and where she is. To me, it just really struck a very personal chord. So you guys, just to give a little context, you met before your wife April died. Correct. Yeah. So Molly was living with us at the time. So April and I divorced in 2017 and then she passed away in 2018 Mm -hmm. so i was you know i I watched a documentary and 
I mean, that really resonated when you talked about, you know, discussing the path, you know, the death of your wife. Mm -hmm. Fortunately for me, I did have Molly there to kind of help, but I mean, it's the absolute worst conversation you could possibly have. How old were your kids at the time? Rylan was nine, Reed was five. So I sat him on the bed and I mean, that's kind of a, I don't really want to get too, I'll get emotional if I get it. Like, it's kind of our own private thing. But I think maybe tell tell him what you told me, the discussion you had with Rylan after I got out of the room. So, it I mean, obviously it's a shock. It's something that you never anticipate that you have to tell your children. And Grant went into Rylan's room and, ta- and told both boys that their, their mommy had passed away. And then some other things were discussed and he... They came out of the room and Rylan met me in the kitchen and he was, he was nine and he was just kind of stunned, you know, as you can imagine. And I gave him a hug and he started crying and I said, you know, I will, I will take care of you. And he just, just in that moment, it was very, it was just a beautiful bond that he knew that I was there for him. And so that's a blessing that we had, but that moment now lasts a lifetime. So we are now parenting children who have lost their mother. And that that is something that we have to focus on to keep her memory alive. And you do a beautiful job of that in your documentary. And it's clear that you have been able to really keep Adrian's memory alive and then teach Sophie who she was because she was so Sophie was so little at the time. But we do that. And we we allow April to live in our home. Her memory lives in our home. She, We are not in competition as stepmom and mom. Mm-hmm. And we were able to just love our children through their grief. You know, I've, I've mentioned on a number of different interviews, like, I don't believe you can love somebody out of grief, but you can love them through it. And just, it's part of life, unfortunately. Well, that's a, a really interesting conversation, which I do want to talk to you about at length in, in a moment. Because grief and closure, those are really universal subjects that we all experience, but perhaps on different levels and what the meaning of those things are and whether they exist and can right. they exist. How did your wife pass? Like, was it an illness? Uh, she was an alcoholic. So we had a really rough three years. I mean, she spiraled out of control probably early 2015. So Reed was a little over two years old. Rylan was five. And I mean, and when I say alcoholic, I mean, alcoholic, you know, like with buddies, you joke, oh, you know, Jim, such an alcohol, like a hiding vodka, like just very, very rough. Mm-hmm. And we sent her to several long term rehabs. Like I really did as much as I possibly could. I didn't want that marriage to fail. I know this is emotional stuff. And, it, and that's a whole other dimension to. It is. We got a complicated this, story. This tragic story. It is a <laughs> yeah. complicated, tragic stories, but often they are, and and not everyone experiences that degree of complication or tragedy, and, which makes this conversation so important. And that's why we're doing this. Like I know there's other you know men out there are going through the same thing right now, and it's terrible and it's uncomfortable to talk about. But I feel like you know we at this point in our lives are in a really good place. Like so. Things have turned out well for us. So I want people to know that, like, you know, that it's, it can, mm-hmm. you can get through it, hopefully. Yeah. You know? And how old were Connor and Claire, your children, at the time of April's death? Uh, 10, 
and eight. So they were all kind of around the same age. Yeah. And so the thing that I always think about over the years since Adrian died, was it more of a blessing that Sophie was two? Because I think about, had she been five or nine, when there's so many visceral memories. Like my daughter was so young that the initial shock and grief was different than if she had been older. However, later on in life, part of me wishes that she was older because then she'd have memories. She has no memories. Right. So it's kind of like a trade-off. Like, what's better? It's like the conversation of, was it better to lose someone over a long illness or to lose someone sudden and tragically? Like, well, loss is loss. And that's interesting because for me, Rylan was nine when she died. And she was healthy, you know, up until he was five years old. So he did get her, like, the best of her. Reed, I mean, at two and a half, like, she really, I mean, she was gone like it was always you know mommy's with the doctor trying to figure out why she's sleeping so much right so he really he really didn't get you know that experience of having you know a maternal mother thank you thankfully for our family you know molly kind of fulfilled that role yeah it's so it is so complicated because a, a child losing a parent under any circumstance is is devastating but it's just an interesting conversation as to whether or not it's better for a kid if they don't have memories. And it's just something that's, they, they don't, it's intangible. They don't have you know, how to conceptualize other than the fact that mommy, daddy won't be back. Right. right. And you saw my film, so you know that I had gone to a psychologist. And they said at that age, all you can say is mommy died, her body stopped working. She's not coming home. Because anything beyond that is too complicated for them. They can't, at two or three, conceptualize more. And I know you mentioned before that a lot of this is private, but was it a similar kind of explanation? Yeah. Or was it deeper because they were older? No, they... honestly, it was very similar to that. I mean, it was essentially, you know, your mommy has passed away, and it really just led to a lot of crying, you know, like right away. So, but since then... Like we revisit it, like we talk about it, like we have open dialogue, you know, about, you know, her passing. We don't hide it, you know, because, you know, I, I, I don't think there there's any point to do that. Like everyone ever remember when you lose somebody, like it's not like you forget, right. you know, so it's okay to have those discussions. What did you tell your kids where she went? Did they when, ask right away? Like, where is she? No, but actually, Molly, this is probably... I mean, I know the book really is that. And not even just the book, but Reed asked me a lot of questions. And I think because they, you know, the boys didn't want to upset their dad, they were able to ask me some more pointed questions. And Reed, just being five, he'd say, well, how do they know that she had died? And how do they know she really is dead? And so we talked a lot about put your hand and do you feel your heartbeat? And do you Mm. feel the air in your lungs and they know the doctors know that there is, you know, you can't live without that. So we had to talk a lot about how our bodies work and how when they stop working, that's dead. And when you're alive, the oxygen and the heartbeat. And so there's, and well, where was she? And was she scared? And so two, five, right. uh, no, it's, 45, right. it's all really hard to lose a parent. And I don't, I don't think that there's a right answer to, what would have been better? 
but we believe in the open dialogue. We believe in having no question is off the table and and just telling our version of the truth so they can try to understand it because mm. we don't understand it. Even as adults, there's a lot of question around death and varying beliefs. So it's And tough. it's a beautiful thing that children at such a young age could be so focused on you in that moment that well, they didn't want to hurt or upset you. I know. I know. And they're, Rylan, my oldest, is still like that. Mm -hmm. Like, he protects me. I had a moment where Sophie was right around her third birthday in February of 07. And she was standing about 15, 20 feet from me. And she just looked at me. And she said, Daddy, I don't want you to be sad. And I stopped dead in my tracks. And I was like, what do I look like that a three-year-old can see that I'm sad? But more importantly, that she had that empathy, that ability at that young age to recognize that I was sad and then tried to comfort me at three. Right. Kids have a way of proving to us all the time that they know more than we think they know and they're capable of so much more. Yeah. And at times could be so much more mature than we think they are. Yeah. Definitely. So your father died after April died? The year About that you wrote the book. The last year. So the right. year I wrote the book. And so he died in April of 2022. And... I hadn't gone through grief as a child, but still losing a parent. And like I mentioned, it doesn't matter how old you are. It's still a life-altering event. And how old was he? 71. Young. And how did he die? Rapid decline. I guess we'll call it Lewy body dementia, but still trying to understand. And so the combination of April's death and, and the experience you had with the kids, the boys, and helping them cope with grief and then your own father passing gave you this inspiration to write this book called is heaven father then the north pole which is so important because grief on any level at any age is something that's universal but there's also a lot of stuff that's out there i'm sure you've had people that you'll look at each other and go did she just say that or yeah People love to give their opinions. People love to also give platitudes. You know, one of the things you realize when you meet with other people who have been through something similar is that they don't do platitudes. They don't tell you everything's going to be okay. Right. Like if I have a friend, I go like, it's not going to be okay. In fact, it's going to really suck for a very long <laughs> time. A it, it really is. long time. Yeah. But then it might start to get a little bit better and then a lot better. That's what you really want to hear. You know, I had a friend whose son committed suicide, hung himself in a closet when he was 14 years old. Awful. And uh, I remember being there for him when that happened. And then years later, when Adrian died, he was one of the first people to reach out to me. Mm -hmm. And he laid out a roadmap of literally how often I'll cry, how long I'll cry, what it's going to be like. And it all came true because he went down that road, wow. you know? And so I always found those people much more satisfying to talk to because the people who give you the hallmark card of, you know, it's going to be okay. They mean well, and they're really nice, and they love you, but they just aren't doing it for you in that moment. Because you, you know, when someone says to you, it's going to be okay, you, you know it's not going to be okay. Right. How could it be okay? Right. You lost your wife. Your boys lost their mother. You lost your father. How is that okay? Right. Right. 
yeah, grief makes people uncomfortable. It they there's not a lot that that people are educated on knowing what to say unless you've been through it. And you can say, this is really hard and I'm here for you. You don't have to come up with the right words. I found that the thing I found most painful was the no words. So because it makes people uncomfortable, saying nothing actually hurts more than saying the wrong thing, not acknowledging and verifying. So it's it's been an interesting journey and I have kind of just delved into this grief. I, I would consider myself like a grief advocate and try to help other people understand, but I will forever be a better supporter of my friends and loved ones who are grieving because of what we've been through. And I will forever, um, I actually have apologized to some people that I didn't support the way that I felt like I should have supported them or loved them through their loss. And you're right. It's it's awful. What you went through, what Sophie went through is unimaginable. It's terrible. Well, it's interesting what you said about certain people. I remember this one friend who I didn't hear from him for months. He was like, yeah, I just, I just didn't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> my wife just got murdered and my daughter has not a mother and you didn't know what to say? How about like, how are you doing? You need a yeah. quart of milk or something? And And... Over the years, I went from anger to just like, I guess people just don't have tools. They don't right. know. Like you say, it's grief makes people really uncomfortable. We all process the, these things very differently. And so in terms of processing this, you're right. You must have a creative side because not everybody is like, all right, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> so you wrote a book. Yeah. And a successful one. So it's like there's something in you. And, and that to me is like a silver lining. And so I think we have those things inside. And then when we're faced with these moments, like you were, both of you were in, um, together with the situation with your sons, but also you individually with your dad, like sometimes things just come out that were just there all along, but right. you didn't have a reason. Circumstances weren't such that they, they were able to come out. Um, so you wrote this book. And did you know from the get-go what it was going to be? Did you close your eyes and say, I see the beginning, the middle, and the end? Kind of. It, I, I do believe that I, I, it just kind of came about through the creativity and, and the years and our story. I knew that the title was going to be Is Heaven Farther Than the North Pole? Because Reed asked me that one night when he was trying to understand, where is mommy? And it was around Christmas time. And he said, is heaven farther than the North Pole? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. It went into a long roundabout where I'm I'm stumbling over my words and trying to figure out how do I answer this question. And it wasn't until after my dad died where when I was on walks and in nature and just in living, I realized I feel like my version of heaven is all around us and that my loved one is with me. And so I knew an answer because of my own grief to what my little boy asked me so many years earlier. And so I told Grant, I'm going to write a children's book. And it's going to be about these two kids that are on a quest to find heaven after their mom dies. And was your reaction like, that's great? Uh, Or was it, what? (laughs) At first, I mean, you know, she was still in the corporate world and she was successful. I mean, she was making a really good living. And so for her to say that, you know, I'd pause for a little bit, but 
I have a lot of faith in her. And once she started describing her idea, it's like hundred percent, you know, let's do it. It's a way that you're going to impact way more people in a positive way doing this book than selling medical devices. Mm. So, and the boys and your children, were they also like, wow, this sounds great. Or were they kind of not sure what it all meant and how it would impact them? The boys were both really excited. You know, I, I told Reed about this title and I said, that's the question you asked me. And they both, Rylan and Reed, I did ask them for permission though. I said, is it okay for me to tell this story? Because I, if it accomplishes my goal, I will be, and we will be sharing our story. And really it's your story, the loss of your mother. And I'd like to, is it okay if I dedicate it to your mom? Do you want me to say dedicated to just April? Do you want it to, you know, and they're like, no, full dates. You know, they wanted her her dates of life. They wanted her first and last name. So they were a part of it. I let them help me pick out the names of the characters. And then there's a lot of little nods to both my dad and April in the book, like part of the journey. Some of the names of the books, the things that they do in the book really are personal to us. And so it's just been an, a fun adventure. And I think it's healing all of our grief. It's interesting that because of their age at the time, like I'm wondering if had they been teenagers, <laughs> yeah, where they're self-conscious, like you're not putting my life in a book. Because <laughs> I got a little bit of that during the, you know, I had parts where like Sophie would at one point say, you know what? I saw that last cut you did. And can you take that line out? It was, a, it's a more of an interesting conversation and process when you're dealing with kids when they're still at that age where you can, you know, not have that resistance that's not rooted in probably anything other than just kids being self-conscious or right. worried about what their friends are going to think and all that. Because um, kids process this stuff so differently. And so at nine or five, they, they weren't in that world yet the yeah. way they would have been probably. Well, and the boys called me Molly because I was Molly. I was kind of a, a stepmom. Mm -hmm. And it was years after April died that Rylan said, Molly, I'm going to start calling you mom. I said, oh, you can call me whatever you want to call me. And they both have transitioned. They call me mom. And so now April is mommy and I am mom. And we very much can decipher that in our home. But it's part of that because the boys, their friends would say, why do you call your mom Molly? And that was identifying to other people that maybe they're different and maybe right. their story is different. So I did tell them that. I said, once I write this book, people may realize that I'm not your biological mom. And so it's just opening all of that up and and allowing them to give me, per you know, I needed permission from them to, to share their story and for it to be out well, there. That that whole subject resonates with me too because I was involved in a long-term relationship with a woman who I met when Sophie was around six. And so she very comfortably stepped into a, you know, whatever the role can be if you're not married. Like she was as stepmothery as mm -hmm. you can be. But she also, to the point you made earlier, there was never any competition. You know, I have a table in my house bureau that has a million pictures of Adrian. Like I have a shrine to Adrian. Like mm -hmm. if some people come in my house, they might be like, oh, that's a little weird, dude. And my answer would be like, no, because her mother's gone and that's all she's got. But, you know, when you when there is a figure that comes into a child's life that does play that maternal role, that's awesome. 
And, you know, the kids really gravitate to that and, and, and they need that and they appreciate it. But there is that thing of being different because I know my daughter went through that. But one thing I wanted to ask you about with the book is because other than the word heaven, it really is not a religious book. Right. That's correct. Good catch. And I don't know what your personal lives are like, but I could imagine that with some people, it would be an opportunity to just go full bore religion. Let's riff off the, the whole heaven thing. And also the word heaven is coming through the voice of the children. Mm -hmm. Your book is about a child asking this question and yeah. then going on this journey to find it. And then actually what they find is not terribly religious either. You know, it's right. kind of like, well, we didn't find heaven, but it's kind of all around us, which is really a beautiful concept. Was that a really conscious decision? Like, did you start out making it more religious and you scaled it back or did you not want to go there at all from the beginning? I wrote this truly from just my heart mm -hmm. and I didn't overthink any of it. I do like that the only thing about it is in the title because that was a question that Reed asked me and it, it's open for interpretation. This book isn't intended to change anybody's beliefs, religious beliefs, or sway them one way or the other. The book is to hopefully open the lines of communication between a parent and a caregiver and their children and in some way allow the child to write in the back of the book or create their own narrative on how they're going to have the memory of their loved one stay alive and mm -hmm. live by their side. This could then take them down the whole religious route. That could take them down their own own beliefs. But it wasn't intended to be one way or the other. It's just the way that we feel in our home and kind of the way that we have had a journey. There's just memories of our people. They're with us. And whether you want to call it heaven or spirits or whatever you want to name it, mm -hmm. it's it's the way that it kind of came to. Well, the message of the book as through the eyes and experience of the children in the book is that mommy's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a beautiful message, you know, that they discover that through their own little journey to figure that out. Because you're going to think about from a child's perspective, when tragedy like this happens, to try to understand just the death itself. Where is she then? And where is heaven? How complicated and frustrating that must be to try to understand all that. And so when you get to the end of the book and they realize together that no she's the ice cream place she's here she's there and we can enjoy and every time we see those places like it's a great message and the book itself really serves an important purpose i want to ask you guys about closure because that's something i've struggled with i'm personally not a fan of the five stages of grief. Right. to me if you give me five points it's like all right when i get to the fifth i'm done we're good right you cross <laughs> right. the line you know it's like yeah mission accomplished yeah but you can't accomplish a mission with grief. How does grief go away? How do you ever really get closure? What's your feeling on all that? I'm, I'm a deep empath and I have deep feelings. So I don't think I will ever have closure on anybody that I have loved and lost. But that's okay. That's my version of grief. You can have your different journey. There's just no right or wrong way to grieve. And... 
nobody has the same grief. So even in, in the scenario of Adrian, you lost your wife. Sophie lost her mom. Her mother lost her daughter. So the relationship is different. It's really nobody is experiencing grief the same way because the relationship was different. Mm -hmm. And so for us as humans to just love one another through their journey, whether it's a good day or a bad day, there's no timeline. That is where I think grief is just this ongoing part of love. It's just an extension of love. So you will grieve her as long as you would have loved her forever. Mm -hmm. And it hopefully isn't crippling and it doesn't put you in a ball on the floor every afternoon. But if it does, then it does. Right. You know? No, you're right. It's such a personal thing and it's experienced differently with adults and children. I mean, I said in my film, like I woke up madly in love one morning, kissed my wife goodbye, and then she was gone. It's like, where does that love go? Right. Right. It's just frozen. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean you can't love again. Right. I mean, we can have a million kids. We yes. can have four dogs. This notion that you can only love one other human is just so nutty to me. Yeah. My thoughts on that, too, are like, I think of a healthy April would want me to be happy. You know, like she wouldn't want me laying around crying and feeling like she would want and the boys to be happy. So that gives I, I definitely don't have closure. Look, I mean, I can hardly talk about it without tearing up, but right. like at least can move on and enjoy life knowing that the person you lost wants you to be happy ultimately, so. Yeah, it's, I mean, and for kids, like, and and you guys, and perhaps Grant in particular, my grief is not just my own, but my grief is for my child. Yes. So like everything that happens in her life now. That's the hardest part. Yeah, yeah, you know, graduation, like, oh, here's another thing mommy's not mm-hmm. here for, you know? And so you, re- you, you know that they're grieving, Right, prom night. She's getting dressed. Well, it's like great. Dad's helping me, <laughs> or my <laughs> or my sisters are helping me. But like, mommy should be here. You right. know, she's going through that, mm-hmm. and so you grieve along with her for that. So, for me, and I would imagine for you, and any parent of a child who loses a parent, like, how does your grief ever go away? Because that child is going to experience that loss, that grief, every day of their lives till the day they die, and you're going to be right there. I mean, someday my daughter will get married or she'll have her own children. And, right. And she's not going to have her mom as a grandma sitting with her kid. Like the grief cycle just goes on and on and on. And you just have to figure out your path to move forward because otherwise, like you say, it can cripple you. But I've always felt lucky that I've had a strength and a vision for how to move forward, what to do, how to take my grief and somehow turn it into something good. Clearly, you've done a very similar thing. And, but do you ever think about all the people who may not have those same resources, that same tool belt, and do get caught in this trap of grief and pain and self-destructive behavior? And then the people around them experience that through them, and it's just a cycle of just awfulness. Yeah, and I don't want my boys to turn into one of those people. You know, like, that's what I worry about. You know, both we we do therapy, those types of things. But my fear is, like, what if this hits them when they're in college? Like, they go off and then, you know, maybe there is drinking involved. Like, that's, it's just, it never ends. Like, it's a constant worry. So I cannot discount or say enough about the role that you play, Molly, in their lives. And I think having that kind of a grounded family situation, a strong maternal figure, the love that is obviously in your family that yes without a doubt that door is going to swing and hit them in the butt 
in many ways. You know, they're going to process the loss at 14 differently than they do at 18, at 25, at 35, at 50, at 60. Like, and as long as they have that same support structure and love that comes from family, I, I, I think it is doable. Um, the concept of closure is just a very funny thing. I think um, it's hard to imagine ever getting to a place where it's just, how do you forget the loss of people yeah. in your life, you know? Let's talk a, a little bit about Mother's Day, which has always been a big day in my family. I've experienced craziness with Sophie in school, like where teachers will be like, we're going to make Mother's Day cards tonight. Right. And my daughter will literally say, I don't have a mother. And the teacher will say, you have a dog? Oh, because that's the same. <laughs> I was like, how on earth is an educator when a child says, I am not really comfortable doing this today because I don't have a mother. Right. And I feel different and I'm scared and I'm upset. And the response is, well, make a card to your dog. Wow. Could you imagine? No. Have yeah. your children ever experienced any kind of, I mean, the opposite of empathy, just people being tone deaf and clueless? I ran into it early on before Molly was in our life, like when April would be at a rehab, you know, then things would be happening at, you know, preschool and elementary, you know, Ryan was in elementary at the time where, you know, things were, you know, mom's supposed to come and do this and that. And it, it's just like, we don't have one right now. So, right. yeah. And it's very hard to, for them to process that. Do you ever experience things like if you guys are together with the kids and someone says, oh, that's a really cute baseball hat. Did mommy get it for you? People make the assumption. Yes. I mean, it's a little different in your situation because they do call you mom and you were there from the get-go. Whereas like when my ex and Sophie would walk together, they would always look at each other and kind of smile. And they would always say yeah. like, we're never going to see this woman again. So let's just say yes. But I always thought like, wow, my daughter has to go through that. Why can't people just know that not everybody on Mother's Day is happy? Right? Right. That's a simple. Yes. You can... Not have a mother, you can hate your mother, right? Your mother could have been abusive. You can have two dads. Like, why do people just fall into this thing of sameness for everyone? Right. I When I'm seeing patients now, like, I don't ever assume that it's the mom in the room with the, with the child or the dad. Like, I just don't, I just don't even approach that because I know it's not, a, we, we shouldn't assume that everybody has this perfect, you know, little life. No, but you're an optometrist, so you clearly see things differently. Than there you go. Than most, <laughs> probably, there's probably going to be at least one or two more optometry okay. puns. Okay. All right, bring, bring them on. Yeah. And so your illustrations were done by your niece? Yes. 20-year-old college student? Yes, Ellie is in college in How'd Nebraska. that come about? She's just a beautiful artist, and she is... She does a great job. She's been doodling and showing us her illustrations for as long as I've known her. She's actually Grant's sister's oldest daughter and when I came up with the concept I called her and asked her if she wanted to do the illustrations and she definitely agreed and she's done a beautiful job so we're really excited about that. That's a really beautiful aspect to to this story and you also donate a percentage of the profits. Do you want to talk about the organization that it goes to? Yeah it's the National Alliance for Children in Grief and it's a fantastic organization that gives resources to families. We didn't know how much was out there for us. And maybe that's our fault for not Googling and, and looking what was available. But there's there's so many things that are available that are free. There's summer camps. There's mental health 
initiatives. There's they would fund you seeing and getting therapy because there's not always resources for everybody and not everybody has access to mental health and the support that they need. So we definitely want to use the the proceeds to donate back. We want to make sure that we're advocating and champion for anybody that's going through the crisis of losing somebody. And one in 13 kids will lose a primary parent or a sibling by the time they're 18 years old. So the fact that our schools are still doing these big Mother's Day or Father's Day and and not honoring that maybe not everybody has a traditional looking family is a big miss. So, you know, we just want to continue to advocate and share our story because we believe that we want to make sure that what we have gone through and what these boys and what Grant has gone through is potentially going to help other people (laughs) and you don't have to suffer alone. And you have other books planned. I do. Tell us about that. I have a couple more. So there's a few more that are really talking about the grief process and outlining and assuring the child that this may be normal and what you're feeling. And then there's one about grief around divorce. So grief doesn't necessarily have to mean a death. You can grieve what you could have had or processing the loss of your first family and your mom and dad separating. And so because... There's just, there's a lot of books out there that are, that kind of treat things in a whimsical way and they have animals speaking to animals. And so we're taking this concept that's really hard to understand death and potentially heaven and afterlife, really hard to understand. And then we're making it really fictional. And I would like to use this platform to have, not in a mean way, but in an, in a true validating way and help parents come up with the words because there's there's just no words well it is a really important journey that you guys are on individually and together uh, grant my heart goes out to you i walked your, you. walked your shoes i know what you deal with it's, it's no day at the beach right and uh, what you do molly is very commendable and thank uh, you not every woman would do that well <laughs> so they're easy to love so it's it's a good good for me. Uh, yeah. Well, it's when you see tragedy and you see death and you see situations that are not great, it's always great when you see people who rise and handle it in a great way. Thank you. Because especially when there are children involved, because a lot of people don't do that. So thank you for coming in today. You guys are actually in the back room. We always love when people come in the back room. We don't often have visitors, although we've been getting more and more. And um, hopefully we'll chat again when the next book comes out. Love uh, to. We'll talk about that. And uh Good luck to you both. Okay. Thank Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Take care. That's episode 72. If you like what you've been hearing, and even if you don't, let us know. We appreciate the feedback. You can leave us a message at 845-307-7446. Email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at Andy Ostroyd. And when you listen, please take a quick moment to rate and review. It's very helpful. And if you do like the podcast, please follow or subscribe, and you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wynn and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, Molly Rubesh, and her husband, Grant. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.